This is Twa Teams, one street from the Evening Telegraph. The only podcast as obsessed with Dundee and Dundee United as you are. This week, Dundee finally get that win. And it's terrific Tam's tremendous tangerines. Hello, and welcome to that rarest of things, a win-win edition of Twa Teams. That's why as I look on my computer screen here, I see the smiling faces of Ewan Smith, Graham Finnan and George Cran. And they were all smiling at the final whistles on Saturday. Welcome, men. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm grumpy as usual because I wasn't there, so I had to listen on the radio. But enough of that. We'll get right into business. United, what a win at Easter Road, Ewan. And... I, sorry, I just, it just crossed my mind when I was listening later to the pressure that Stephen Glass is under because Aberdeen aren't doing well. If after two or three months a manager can be under threat of the sack, surely we can laud Tam Courts for the job he's doing at United after two or three months because up to third and a win, certainly, surely the margin of victory nobody saw coming. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, they hadn't, they hadn't won at Easter Road for seven years, just over seven years before that game. Um, and Actually, having watched them play against Hibs earlier in the season and in the Premier Sports Cup, I'll give it his, his full title this week. Thank you. Um, I, felt, I felt that they would be under quite a bit of pressure because of Hibs, Hibs' attack, but Scott McMahon nullified the, the threat of Martin Boyle down the wing and Dundee United were comfortable the whole game, to be honest with you. They, what, what I like about them just now, and they did this at Celtic Park, which was probably the most impressive I've seen them do this, they, they impose their game on the opposition. They don't wait for the opposition to come to them and, and play their football and try and like uh, cut out their threats. They impose their game. They, they're very confident in the system that they've, they're they playing. They're playing like a 4-3-3, four, four, you could argue, uh, or 4-5-1. But, you know, I'd say more. it's more likely 4-3-3, three, three, you know, with, with Paula on one side and Niskan on the other side and Nicky Clark through the middle. And, yeah, I mean, look at their goals. Their goals were absolutely outstanding. I mean, Nicky Clark's goal... But the one-touch football in that goal between four players, the interchanges, little interplays at the edge of the box, and then he, and then he curls a beauty into the bottom corner. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Ryan Edwards' header uh, from, I think, Declan Glass had played the ball out to, to McMahon, and he crossed it in, and then a header. Indeed he had. Yeah, by Edwards. And then and then the third goal, Dundee United just absolutely flooded flooded the, the box. You know, when, when they're 2-0 up already, you think, well, they've got the game, are they just going to close the game out? No, they flooded the penalty box and it was really intelligent play by Niskanen to, and unselfish to square the ball in for Kieran Freeman and boy, did he enjoy that goal. I didn't have eh? But I mean, I mean, if I go back to the beginning, they're without their main striker, McNulty, who's out for the rest of the year. Their new signing's not fit enough to start. Nicky Clark, who often plays off the front, goes right up top. And another brave Tam Court's decision, surely, putting Declan Glass in after a, a long absence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, I did an interview with him on Saturday and he hadn't made a start for Dun United in 21 months. I mean, if you think about that, I mean, I mean, he had he'd obviously... He was on the periphery of things with Dundee and trying to break into the side because he'd been out in a couple of loan spells before. But he went out and loaned to Partick Thistle and he got injured before he kicked a ball in anger at Partick Thistle. And he was out for over a year. And yeah, you're right. The bravery to put him in. Dylan Levitt was injured, so there was a there was a, 
an opportunity there to give Declan the, the, the chance. But I think he grasped it with, with both hands and both feet as well. I mean, he, he looks a real player and, he, and he's such an enthusiastic person as well to talk to. He's so bright, bubbly, cheery. And I believe that's, from speaking to the Dundee United coaching staff, that's the that's one of his biggest assets is his, his attitude, his, his personality. And I think that that's why they believed in him and gave him the opportunity. But you're right, that's what Tam Courts has shown time and time again so far this season is that he's willing to make brave decisions, brave calls. I mean, he did it with Kerr Smith at Celtic Park when Mark Reynolds was sitting on the bench with over 400 games in his locker and he put Kerr Smith, 16-year-old, in in that game and he did it again with Declan Glass. I mean, there would have been other op- options for him, but he decided, no, this is Declan's moment. And and Bear, you, you, you've been around for uh, this area for a lot longer than you and has been. Um, when we say brave about Declan Glass, it's a reflection of his personal fitness situation mm. and also the fitness situation of the squad. Because one thing Declan Glass, we know from seeing him break into the first-team squad at 16-17, plenty of ability the lads got. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he was he was widely tipped to be, you know, a first-team player way back when he broke into that first that first team squad and sometimes it doesn't happen like that for you Tom you, you know you see it with young guys that they'll, they'll pick up injuries they're still developing he's had to go out on loan um, but Tom Courts obviously knows all about him and, and what he can do for the team and uh, yeah it was a, it was a brave decision and you know in a sense but the fact that Tom Tom knows him quite well having been at the club uh, for a while now and uh, knows what he can do and the fact that Dungeon United are in Went into the game and, and you know a relatively comfortable position. I think it was it was uh, a good decision as well as a brave decision. It's like like you and says he's made a lot of brave decisions throughout uh, his time, short tenure in, in the hot seat at Tandice. But I think the one thing that, that really sort of is is showing up is that it doesn't matter what the personnel is on the park for Dundee United. It's, they keep turning out results. He's had to change his goalkeeper. They keep getting clean sheets. He's had to change the, the defenders. Uh, you know they keep getting clean sheets. The midfielders, you know, you, you get guys like you know Glass coming in, Lever up front, McNulty's out. They're bringing Clark. So whatever they're doing on the training ground, everybody's taking it on board because it, whatever happens to that team, it doesn't seem to disrupt their pattern of play. Well worth the win on Saturday. I think they took great belief, and we we'll go. I'll go back to the the cup tie where they were they were you know down three 0 at Tarnish. I think it was. Um, the second half performance, well, they didn't actually win the game. I think that gave them great belief that they could go and take this this Hibs team on. Um, and they showed that on Saturday. And a, a fantastic, fantastic performance. Hibs have been their bogey team um, for a wee while now for Dundee United, but they certainly laid that to rest on Saturday. And you just you just wonder where it's going to stop with United. You know, you just you just you really think that they can they're they're, in, they're up there on merit at this point in time and they're playing some great football. They must be great for their fans at home and away, you know, the, the performances that they're churning out. Aye, and, and George, I mean, if you cast your eyes across the road from that happy place that's Dens Park this week, for a wee while there, United were the new Arsenal with their 1-0 one, no, wins. I said it was a surprise, the, the margin of victory on uh, Saturday, low, thoroughly deserved. But, I mean, I, I jotted down before we started recording this, when I found a pen eventually, Pollock, Clark, Glass, Niskanen, They've got the they've got the players to open up defences the way they did on Saturday with three really really good goals. Yeah, they definitely do, and you can see it's been a a kind of work in progress for Tam Court since he's 
taken over because obviously last season the- see George if you had finished your hobnob before coming <laughs> on here you wouldn't be coughing I'm fine the hobnob's gone don't worry Posh uh, biscuits <laughs> the best um, I know well, I know rich tea were in good enough in my day last season they the were they were a bit stuffy really under under Mickey Mellon but they seem to have kept the defensive part of that and trying to build on it I think he said that at the start of the season It was that was his aim because he, he knew he had the players in that squad that be able to to play more kind of uh, open and ex- exciting football when they when they had the ball, but it was <laughs> admittedly it was a surprise to see three 0 result after well every single one before this had been one 0 had it yeah. yeah so it just shows that maybe they're just now they've got that defensive confidence behind them now they're starting to la- relax a wee bit and play in a. a play up to their their ability really and as you say they've been missing some key players uh as well bears right to say it doesn't seem to affect them at all and then you look at the fixtures they've got coming up Motherwell this weekend they'll fancy that Livy away next they'll fancy that the way Livy have been going although picked up a good win at St Johnston St Johnston tough but United will probably fancy that at home St Johnston aided when it has to be said <laughs> yeah slightly uh Hearts will be tough and Aberdeen we don't know what Aberdeen will be like by then, but that, that looks like a pretty presentable next few fixtures. So the, I, you can't really point out where it's really the wheel, any wheels might come off or whatever. It, it feels like it's not just a flash in the pan for United. It feels like this this could be a really positive season. And you and we actually the other week we praised Tam Courts for having laid down what the way he wanted his team to play. He's done so quite cautiously. And relied in the in the first few weeks on his strong defence, but we're now the last couple of performances and the goals on Saturday as well. We're now seeing him really put his stamp on their style of play. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I go back to what Bear said about players being out injured and coming back in. I think they're all fitting into the system that he's playing as well. The system's not adapting when new players come in. I mean, Declan Glass played a slightly more advanced role um, at the weekend, but then Dylan Levitt would have done. But then. Jandal Fuchs and Ian Hart's just dropped back. You know, it's they're, they're just adapting to... He's got a very clear system that he wants to play and he puts the players into that. And when I spoke to Tony Asgar a few weeks ago, he was talking about their, their signing policy and how they were very laser-focused in their approach. And he was talking about how they're looking to buy players that will play the system that they, they're setting up. So they're very clear and strategic about how they want United to line up and how they want them to play. Um, but the players are fitting in really well. But, I mean, that defence, we can't underplay. I mean, we, you, you maybe saw the statistics that I, I pulled out yesterday, but the, the, you can't underplay how well that defence is performing. And that must give the the, the midfield and, and the attack some confidence that if they go forward and they, if they go out of position, they take a gamble, that they've got a solid back line that are going to just mop everything up, which they have been doing consistently. Hi, this is... It's the great thing about the manager. He's got that pragmatism. He wants to play with flair and flamboyance, but he's got, like you said, Harks and Fuchs who will run all day for the team and can both play a bit. And at the back, I mean, early on on Saturday, Ryan Edwards showed that what an uncompromising figure he was when Martin Boyle went past him, <laughs> but not very far past him. But that, but that's a great. It's a great foundation. You mean you don't want to see that every every minute, every game. But when in your own team, you surely you like those 
tough defenders. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, right. I think uh, I mean I shared in, in my online piece. I shared an image of um, Ryan Edwards. There was a lot of memes kicking about on Saturday night because Ryan Edwards was outstanding against Hibernian, and there was one particular meme that really floated my boat. I would have say, and it was uh, they'd made. Uh, this is a language I don't. What's memes and boat? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe in the hobnob uh, corner, maybe maybe they'll understand it over there. But um, <laughs> no, they had they had an image and they and they'd made him into a giant, and he was towering over some famous buildings in, in Edinburgh, um, and about how you know how he'd conquered Edinburgh, and he really he really had you know he. In my statistics, I mean, it's a it's a staggering statistic to be honest with you. He had sixteen clearances, and to put that into context, when I when I when I spoke to the the experts at Opta, they told me that that no player in the Scottish Premiership, no outfield player, had made sixteen uh, clearances for fourteen months, and that's a long time for for that. So that shows how dominant he was in the air, you know. And we talked a lot about Charlie Mulgrew and he's brought a lot of assurance to that defence, a calmness. I firmly believe that he could be a, a good backup solution for Scotland. But Ryan Edwards has been immense for Dundee United this season. And the one time Hibbs got through Seagrass showed his worth again. What a great save. Yeah, I mean, he? yeah, he, t- he tipped it onto the post. And I think it was the uh, Kevin Nusbet effort you're talking about. He, he turned it onto the post. I mean Seagrist, I mean, I, I felt a little bit sorry for Trevor Carson when he when he got dropped for the the Dundee derby because he hadn't done anything wrong up to that point and he'd kept three clean sheets in four games and he'd come in and a, and and the fans were even wondering at that point do we do we let Trevor carry on until he makes a mistake? But you can see why you bring Seagrist in. He's just got that next level quality, you know. He's He's a top top class goalkeeper and I guess the challenge is for Dundee United. It's a challenge all the time as do they hang on to these all these players in January if the form continues? You know, if they continue to be in a position where they're in the top three um, come January time, there's people going to be looking at a lot of the players, and it might be players. It might be. I'm not trying to sell their team here, but it might be players like Edwards who are emerging as as players that clubs are looking at and saying, "Well, we fancy a player like him." Although he did sign a new contract in the summer, so they would get top dollar for somebody like that. Aye. I, mean, I must admit the one I you mentioned him and his understudy there. I always I've had that feeling that Carson was brought in because they know what's inevitable was Seagrest and he'll probably go. If I can develop a point for a minute, Bear, is it as an ex-goalie yourself? We're praising Seagrest there, but how good is it to play behind a solid defence? Well, it's imperative. It's imperative. It's certainly, the, the, the two men in front of you, if you know what they're doing and they have a good idea what you're doing, then you, you'll get along just fine. It's, it's when you find that, you know, when there's a, a misunderstanding between sort of the central pair and the goalkeepers, time and time again, you see balls ending up in the back of your net. And, you know, Dundee United just haven't done that. And you and talked about. Uh, the stats here, and, and I saw the piece, and it was, it was really, really interesting, you and because I'm not really a stat man myself, but when you look closely, just how well, you know, um, Ryan Edwards has done, and I looked at the, you know, the, the teams, the shutout records, and maybe it's not a surprise to see Mickey Mellon's team in there as well, you know, because I think he's laid the foundations here um, for Dundee United, and they've continued it on, even with different personnel, and that's a credit, credit to Tom Quartz, um, but yeah, you're right, going, going towards the transfer window, obviously Seagrass is out of contract, but United did get you know a great bit of business to get Edwards on a new deal at the start of the season. And even if, you know, 
even if someone comes in with with a bid for Seagrest, United might look upon it and go, well, what, what they're offering us for, for six months, we can, we'll keep him here. We'll keep him at Chandler's. He's more worth to us to see where we can end up. I and mean, he may make the difference being part of that defensive unit to United. Hopefully, why not? Why not getting a place in Europe or just finishing outside? And, and you see the riches that are involved now going into Europe. You see how close St. Johnston were to getting a, you know, a, a hand in that pot of gold for the for the, the group stages of Europa League football. So, yeah, it might be worth... United still hold the key. Still a done United signed player until the end of this season. So, we'll see where that one goes. Just looking ahead, I know George said about the fixtures uh, coming up and they look, they look quite tasty for United. Now, that could be the biggest challenge for United over the next few weeks. Fixtures where the, the fans now are maybe looking at them going, that's three points. Yeah, that's three points. That's... You know, we know... The Premier League just doesn't work like that and it's got a habit of coming and biting you in the backside when you think you've got it sus. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how they do over the next few weeks. But if they keep performing the way they're performing, why not Why not go and get a few more points on the board? And uh, away from Tanner, it's interesting to see um, two old boys are about to go head-to-head in Johnny Russell and Ryan Gold over in the States. And Johnny Russell's saying very nice things about Ryan Gold, who, uh, to tie in with what we are speaking about earlier, for me... Declan Glass has got a bit of the Ryan Gold about him. Johnny Russell thinks Ryan Gold's got so much of the Ryan Gold about him <laughs> that he that he could he could end up still in the English Premiership. Do you see that? Yeah, I, I that was uh, I think they gave me a head at the weekend, didn't it? There and um, we, we did a little story about that. Alan Temple did a story about that, and I think they both scored. You know, they both scored at the weekend. You know, and we we were having a little. Oh, I was waiting for the game with Well, well you're you're, watch, you're busy watching your Australian football. You're you're the other see, side of the country. I know. Con- see, see world. out here in the wilds of Perthshire, it, t- it takes the papers about four days. To yeah, arrive. time difference. It'll arrive in a couple of days for you. But um, <laughs> we we were having a laugh about this a little bit in the group chat um, at work um, about the the one of the videos they put with the Johnny Russell goal because Johnny Russell scored a consolation goal, didn't he? And and the music they put to it. The, I obviously. Don't know. Well, well, <laughs> online they put some dramatic music and they slowed down the clip music. and yeah, they made it. They made it. They made it over dramatic, didn't it? It was, it was like he'd scored the winning goal and actually fi- oh, finished the losing Johnny side over there, though, don't they? It's mad, but it's interesting. It's, Rangel's flying out there, isn't he? He's, he's seems to absolutely loving it, and they're loving him scoring goals, setting up goals. It's been a really good move for him so far. There must be a, there must be an opportunity for him to get in. That, I mean, we keep saying it, but. We've got players out for this game against Moldova, right? And we've got Ryan Christie's out for this game against Moldova. That must that must present an opportunity. It, it would seem an obvious one. Yeah, eh, for Ryan it would. Christie. It would to us, but there's just something about Steve Clark's setup that he doesn't seem to be looking in that direction. It would seem to me. I mean, I was watching that game against the Faroe Islands, and I felt that at one point in that game we needed somebody of his skill to unlock the defence. You know, and we'd. Uh, we're missing something like that. And I always felt Gold on the edge of the box could thread pass wee four and five yard passes through gaps that you didn't see. But he did and he got it. And like you say, a game a game like the Pharaohs was, and maybe Moldova will be he would be suited to that kind of situation. I, I think being being where he is 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 the issue. I know he, he moved over there not really thinking about the, the Scotland thing, but Reading was it last week or the week before? Stephen Calker was talking about his he'd kind of given up on his his hopes to play for Scotland because he'd, he'd spoken to Steve Clark and Clark had said I just haven't been able to come and see you in Turkey because of COVID. So I'd imagine that would be what Steve Clark would say that he's not been able to see him in person. I'm sure it, 
you probably yeah, well, keep an eye on them. But certainly next month before you can yeah. go to America and Canada, I think. But I wonder too, do, do, Bear being an elder statesman mm-hmm. of this group like myself, well, is it you. that is that <laughs> thing that in Portugal and now in Canada, Gold has said he wanted to live abroad. And you know, yeah. you know you, the way football can be. It's like ah, he's putting his life first. He's mm-hmm. got to. He's got to put football first. Well, does, doesn't matter I mean, how ugly your surroundings are if you're playing for the right he's, team. He's he, he's still a, a very very young man, and he seems to have you know him and Johnny Russell are at completely different stages of their careers. Um, but Gold's always seemed to have this sort of you know, a pathway mapped out for himself at a very early stage, even he was at Dundee United, and to go off to Portugal, you know, on his Todd, effectively, and live out there and, you know, take everything on board, not just not just the football team, but the lifestyle and, you know, do well. And now he's, he's off to America. He's a young man, who a man with a plan. And, and whether that involves playing for Scotland or not, I'm sure he'd like to be involved. I think that... Uh, Ryan Gold, you saw him, and I always thought when he was at Tannis, he was only at Tannis briefly and only saw him a few times, but he had the potential of going and become a top, top player, and I think he's done that. And I think that, you know, I think he was the Billy Gilmore for Scotland before Billy Gilmore actually got into the team, but Gold didn't actually make it in there. And I think now we have got Billy Gilmore in there. I think they're they're pretty similar. Um, And I think it'd be hard to play the two of them at the same time. And I think, you know... Whether, whether Clark can seize that, they're both quite diminutive figures. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that because we've seen that. You've seen that when, you, when, you, when you've watched Spain in their pomp, you know, Ionesta and Xavi. Yeah. You don't have to be six foot two to be the best player in the world. In fact, the best players tend to be five foot two, more or less. But in a Scotland setup, I think we do need a bit of weight in the team and have two guys of that sort of stature at this point in time that would have to be really, really spot on. But here, who might have tell the lad what he's doing, doing wrong? He's, he's probably, you know, his bank balance will be pretty healthy out there. He'll be enjoying the lifestyle and good luck to him, you know. And he's idolised. Yeah, so. absolutely. What's not What's not to love? I just, on, on, on Ryan Gold, I did notice, I mean, I don't know if it was coincidental or not, but uh, I follow Ryan Gold on Twitter. He's newly on Twitter because I think he stayed off social media for years, but I think since he's moved over to Canada, he's gone on Twitter. And I followed him, and just before the Scotland game uh, against the Faroe Islands, he posted a series of images of Vancouver, um, like beautiful scenic places that he was in Canada, and he was out visiting those, and I wondered if it was strategically placed there. This is what I'm doing instead of watching the Scotland game. I don't think so, but the timing of it, it came out just as the game was on. Um, and I know he did point out, when I spoke to him earlier in the season, he did point out how he was desperate to play for Scotland. He would always be available for Scotland. But it was interesting, the timing of his posts on Twitter. Well, nothing like a conspiracy theory to finish on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a wee break now. And after this, we'll speak about good news at Dens. Right, chaps, on to Dundee. A win. Let's have a moment of stun, stunned silence. <laughs> and, fair, and George, you, you were obviously there reporting. In fairness, despite the usual confidence stroke arrogance of uh, the Aberdeen side of the game, given Aberdeen's run, if Dundee were going to, going to win, this was maybe a good time to get Aberdeen. Definitely, I think if you're a team struggling for form for wins you want to play another team that's struggling for form and wins and you could see the way the two teams kind of went at each other that it was kind of all or nothing if that's what it felt like both teams thought this is a chance to get ourselves out of the the rut we're in 
but Dundee took the chance. They got Lee Griffiths on the on the score sheet. Charlie Adam was excellent, particularly in the first half, uh, and Luke McCowan got his first goal as well. It was, I think, it was a deserved uh, victory for for Dundee. I was looking at the stats actually earlier, and Aberdeen had a lot of shots, but they, I don't remember them having too many chances. They had one off the line. Uh, and obviously they scored in the second half, but I couldn't remember Legston's actually making a save of any note. And I feel I said, from watching the highlight, having listened to it on the radio, they went off the line. Well done to Lee Griffiths. He held his position at that post, and he didn't He didn't have to do anything spectacular to clear it. He read the situation very well, and it's, it's up to you. Uh, for me, if there was a disappointment, I thought it was a bad goal they lost, but... Two good goals to score. Definitely. And uh Paul McMullen getting another assist. He's, he's almost on double figures already, I think, this season. Dundee haven't even scored that many goals. He seems to set them all up. Um might have been offside, no idea, because you couldn't see it on the video. But didn't look like Aberdeen uh, covered themselves in glory at the back there. Um I was delighted to see Luke McCowan get his get his first league goal. He'd scored in the in the I almost called it the Betfred Cup there, but the Premier Sports Cup uh, at the start of the season. And hes I've been really impressed with him since he came in from there. He's hes really kind of uh, energetic and enthusiastic attacking midfielder. He's, I think he's, he's been impressive since he's come in. He's, he's really bubbly to speak to as well. I spoke to him after the game and I think he used the word buzzing about five, six times, I think, in the whole interview. And he's just so excited that he's been part of that game, been part of the win, scored the goal. Celebrate with Lee Griffiths uh, and all that sort of stuff. He's he's very much enjoying life at Dens Park, and it it was an enjoyable game. There was all sorts going on. It was you could tell there was so much at stake that it was fiery. The ref wasn't great. There was red cards on the benches. There was tackles flying Fechts in. On the Sadly, pitch. Sean Bond got injured. But what was that? Sorry, Fechts on the pitch. Fechts after pitch. Scottish football. <laughs> so we like to see it. It's just a disappointing it wasn't actually on TV over here it was only for the Americans it was on telly Aye Bear you you as usual paid your yes. money went there uh, and again putting your goalkeeper's hat on from when you're playing a good striker it occurred to me looking back and I've looked at Lee Griffith's goal a few times it's a, the sign of a good striker when he's off form the, what, the thing he did and the goalkeeper was maybe a wee bit of fault with his goal he made sure he hit the target. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to thread it in no, no, just no, inside no. one of the posts. He, he said, well, if I don't score, the goal is going to save yep. this. Yep. I've got to admit, when uh, I was in the, the Bobby Cox stand, and when the, when the ball was played over, I kept looking at the linesman, <laughs> waiting for the flag to go up, because where we were sitting, the space he was in, I thought, he's got to be offside, but no, that it stayed down. And Yeah, and it's not Griffith's strongest side. I think he's stronger on his left, but... He did what makes it difficult for goalkeepers, Tom. He kept it right on the carpet, kept it along the ground and, and towards the keeper. A difficult position for a keeper, you know, right sort of low. <laughs> I'm trying to make excuses for the goalkeeper here, but, you know, right under your feet, right under your feet. I think I might have gone through the keeper's Gary Wood's legs, actually. I, I don't know because he's trying to steady himself for a shot either side. And of course, when you do that, you plant your foot, you leave a gap. And because Griffiths stuck it so sweetly, it's in the back of the net. And I was delighted for Griffiths because... You know, well, he's he's uh, you know he, he's not had his problems to seek since he come to Dens, and a lot of them have been uh, brought on himself. You know, he deserved he deserved to get his goal for 
for the work he's been he's been putting in. You know, he has been carrying a wee engine. It's good. It's brilliant for Dundee because I think Griffith's record um, in in the top flight in Scotland is sort of a goal every second game. Now, if he can do that for Dundee, Dundee will be laughing. You know, if he, if, if he can sort of get up to speed on that, I think he's still carrying injury. The second goal, well done, Luke McEwen. Um, I'm, I'm with George on that one. I think he's an exciting prospect. I liked him when he played for Air. He's come in and, and done well for Dundee. Um, I think he th- catches Gary Woods out a little bit because being right behind that goal, the ball actually goes about two feet inside the post. Now, you would normally expect your keeper to get something on it, but if you, if you watch Luke McKinney, he gets the ball from Jordan McGee, I think it is, but he moves it out of his feet very, very quickly and, and gets the shot away before before Woods can even move. And it's not the best best struck shot in the world, but because he's done it so quickly, it's in the back of the net, you know, and from that point on, you thought, here we go, Dundee looked in command, but, you know, it's never over being a Dundee fan, and Aberdeen get their goal, but to be fair, George is right, you know, Aberdeen had a, had, had a few corners and that, but Ashcroft was absolutely immense at the back, and, and you know, Sweeney wasn't far behind him, anything that was in that six-yard box between the sticks, they got their head on it and got it away, Typically at Dens, of course, with the injury, there was nine minutes of stoppage time and the referee actually played, believe I'm an yeah. anarch, so I had the stopwatch on, 11 minutes he was played. 11, 11 yeah. minutes, you know, so you can imagine what we were like. And I know, I noticed that and I was only listening <laughs> to the radio. You're, you're like, come on, you're, you're having a laugh, you're right. But they got there in the end and I think I think over the piece, Tom, they, they actually deserved it. I think they deserved it. I, th- I think they were the better team. Well, well, Aberdeen had a wee bit of possession. You can't underestimate the difference that Charlie Adam and Lee Griffiths, but Charlie Adam especially, as George says, in that first half, he's up against you know Scott Brown and, and Lewis Ferguson, but it was Charlie Adam that stood out. The composure that, that he showed on the ball, taking it, just simple things, keeping possession and, and building attacks. Keep and you know and we've missed that. He went off against Motherwell earlier in the season. We haven't seen him since you know after 25 minutes, and that composure has been missing for Dundee. So. Yeah, it just shows you, you know, Dundee haven't been too bad, but they were desperately needing the win. And it was a big game for them and they got it. So fair play to them and fair play to James McPake. And they deserve to enjoy themselves on Saturday night. You and as well as the quality he's played, the fact that uh, Charlie Adam, after he's been out since August, and he is a veteran, stayed on the park. I think it was for the whole <laughs> 101 minutes. <laughs> when listening to the radio... Willie Miller, L- 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 D- 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 Willie Miller and Rory Loy, um, who were e- excellent, excellent summarizers. I'm not getting this out at all, but it's okay. I'm going to plow on to the end. Uh, they both said after about 65 minutes, oh, do you think you might have to take them off? It looks like Charlie's legs have gone, but the fact that James McPake kept him on Shows them shows what an influence just having them on the yeah, park. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you about the summarizers because I listened to the game on the radio as well when I was driving up the road from Edinburgh, and um, I thought Rory Loy was particularly brilliant. To be honest with you, I thought his his summary was like, you 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 guys were too busy watching the game, but I mean he was really really good. Um, but in terms of Charlie Adam, I think we spoke about this last week. It's not just his ability on the ball. Um, it's his presence, you know. I, I, it's, it's, it's the influence he has by just being there, by physically being on the park, and that, and that sort of that calming influence, you know, that assured it because he's got up against guys like Scott Brown, who Scott Brown's one of the most experienced midfielders in the country. I mean, he's won. I can't remember how many titles he won with Celtic. Um, obviously, won nine in a row with Celtic, didn't he? You know, so I mean, he's, he's. He, if you're probably up, nine then, yeah, but no, but he might have won more than that. He might have he he won might, one before, yeah, he might have won one before that, but um, 
just in terms, you know, you're up against that kind of midfield, and Lewis Ferguson's a very capable midfielder as well, but Charlie Adams not going to be uh, feel any sort of inferiority going on the park with them, you know, and I, in terms of his fitness, well, they did. They spoke about his athleticism a few a few times. You know, his his fitness. He doesn't have to be uh, getting up and down the park. I don't think that's his role in the team. Is it his role is to to sit and to ping the passes and to and to dictate play from where he is? You know, he doesn't have to charge forward and everything like that. So it's great that he stayed on for hundred and one minutes, as you calculated. Um, but it's not probably he can probably play that role for that length of time. You know, and I think I think they should maybe just give him the game time because he's. It's, there's got other fit of players that are running about and doing that kind of job around about him. And George, it's it, I mean it was billed as a uh, the clash of two teams in crisis, and it was during the game it was referred to it was a bit of a battle and all that. But did Dundee do enough to show that if they can find the back of the net and play like that consistently, which for the most part they have, they, they can be okay. This yeah, season. I think so. I mean, I've probably been saying it uh, all season, even when they were losing the games, they were still. Playing well, it was obviously Celtic was bad, St. Johnson was bad, but the other ones were all Dundee could have won the games, maybe not the Derby, but games like at Mullerwell where they were far better than Mullerwell, but they came out on the wrong side of the result. Um, so the performances are there, they weren't getting the goals, obviously, they went that big long streak when Charlie Adam was, was out where they, they couldn't, couldn't get any goals, but it feels like things have turned a, a bit. The uh, <coughs> obviously the SFA hearing got delayed for Lee Griffiths and my understanding is that'll be until the legal proceedings are, are done so that could be a long time so that's a kind of positive But James McPake will keep them busy <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah We'll wait and see what happens with that because um, I, I, I was interviewing him earlier just before he came on uh, and they're waiting to hear back on their the report to see if they appeal that, but they can appeal it. I imagine if they appeal it, they should it should get overturned because that was it was a strange one. Uh, I didn't think the ref was great, but I think if a, one of the players had thrown the ball away like that, it would, it would only got a yellow. I would have thought. I I must admit, I mean, you were there and you saw the overall performance of the referee, but I thought in the instance, I thought I wondered if it was just a smart call by the referee, and he went, "You were the first one that to do I something think that's wrong." What it was, yeah you're off, which is maybe, and in the end, I don't think James McPake can complain too much because he did it and he left himself open. But but the referee could have ended up, I mean, he could have been on the Dundee bench saying, what's your name, by the way, because you're off as well and the Aberdeen lad could have been off. And and I thought, but one thing that struck me, and again, I looked at it again before I went on, for all, for all the big sort of melee of players that ended up, James McPake and Scott Brown actually calmed the situation by standing face to face and just Scott Brown made sure everybody was behind them. James McPake was like, everybody calm down. And they showed their experience there. But Bear, again, it's, it's one of these things. And it, James McPake has always struck me as a very dignified lad on uh, in the dugout. But it's like, it's like buses. He's <laughs> too. Two red cards have come yeah, in quick yeah, succession for him. It is. He was, uh, I don't know why he did it because the ball's coming over towards him, Tom. And he actually, I've seen a lot of managers do this, especially when your team's winning and they go to pick the ball up and then they just step over it and the ball runs away. And he, he could have done that, but he actually got his hands on the ball and threw it back into the dugout, did he? And that's what started Aye. everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think James McPake is, is, is still, you know, he is. I mean, he's been at Dens now for, in, in the hot seat for two and a half seasons. Um, 
So, but in, in terms of, of, of his career as a manager, he's still, uh, you know, in, in sort of embryonic stages, shall we say. And I think he'll learn as he goes along. You didn't want your manager not in the dugout. It didn't help him at St. Johnston term when, when he was sitting in the stand. I don't think it helps. So hopefully, I don't know, George, what's the situation for this weekend at Tynecastle? Does he does he automatically have to miss sit that one out? Have we, have we discovered that? No, I don't think they've discovered that. They're waiting to see uh, what comes from the SFA. But Robbie Nielsen uh, got sent off at Ibrox as well, so the two of them could oh. be in the stand together. I could be sitting right. together. I'm oh, pretty sure they same. won't be sitting next to each other. I'll say that. Well, I, I remember... I remember uh, during his time at United, I remember Craig Levine telling the local boys at the time that um, he'd been given a one-match ban, and it was against Rangers. And at that time, Watty Smith was in the habit of sitting in the stand for the first half. And he ended up sitting next to Craig. And Craig, Craig said after the game, oh, it was it was a night it was a nightmare because what he just kept speaking and and I couldn't really concentrate on the game. He said, "But it's Watty Smith. I'm uh-huh. not going to go shut up." And so he was chatting away the whole first half, and I'm trying to watch the game. But you, does the thing James McPake maybe learns as you as a manager and a former player, and your bones are creaking a bit. You just bend down very slowly, pick the ball up very slowly, straighten up. And eventually give it to the lad. You don't have to hit it away. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever learned that because I can. I can still. Not that I've seen it recently, but I can still imagine Dick Campbell doing that. I broke to be honest with you. If if, it, if it's such a crucial game yeah. and they need to do it, I can still imagine something like some jiggery pokery going on like that and with the ball as well. So I think it's just it was such a high pressure game for both teams, wasn't it? And it was a. Yeah, and it was a yeah. split and second thing. It was a thing. critical point of the but game from everybody it was a involved. Critical point of the game where they were both desperate to win. Aberdeen players were desperate to get the ball back to get play going, and Dundee were desperate to kill time. You know, it's it happens all the time. I don't think I don't think he'll ever. I mean, James Pitt could probably still do that in fifteen years' time if he's a manager. And you know, if it's a crucial game and it's a critical point in a game, he might still do that. You know, it's. It's entertaining to watch, although when you're sitting up there, as George was, sitting in that position where you've got about three or four pillars in front of you from the press box <laughs> at Dens Park, it's difficult to actually make out what's going on, you know, at that point. Trouble in the dugouts at Dens is made for TV because they're on the opposite side, so it was great. It was great viewing. Well, I had no idea what had gone on because the dugout was in the way itself. I just saw pushing and shoving and then a red card came out. There's no, couldn't see any of it. As I say, apart from his initial thing, McPeak was very much the peacemaker. But I just wondered if the referee went, somebody's going, you did the first was, thing. Was it, but Tam, uh, you're saying he was a peacemaker. Was that at the point after he'd been red carded or was it before the referee had made his decision? Was he being the peacemaker just to almost kind of say... No, he, he, wasn't quite, he wasn't quite as peaceful with the referee when he saw the red card was for him. It was before that. Yeah. He, he helped he helped calm it down. I mean, Bear, again, as a, as a former player among us, if if you were playing in the goal for Aberdeen that, uh, on Saturday night, would you not have been shouting at your players, get back on the pitch, we're 2-1 down and time's running out? Yeah. It, it, it worked in Dundee's yeah. I, I thought, and maybe that's where I would criticise Scott Brown, who yeah. kept his arms down by his side and was very placid. He should have been turning to his own players saying, boys, we've got, we're, we're trying to get a point here. Sort yeah, this out I, in the I always think when you're, when, you're, when you're losing a game, any sort of disruption, you, you want to get on with the play. You want to keep the ball in the park. You, want to, you certainly don't want free kicks and the referee taking a minute to speak to players because they just, they just run down the clock. Although, to be fair to him, he did his best by adding on as much time as possible for Aberdeen to get a goal, I, I thought. But it's a similar sort of thing when you're 
you, you've seen it. How many you, pints did you miss aye. in 11 minutes? That's, that's, that's your exactly, first two, isn't it? Exactly. And, and <laughs> you've got to remember, it was a six o'clock kickoff, Tom, how it was eating into the evening. Um, sure. But you, it's a similar sort of thing when you're, you know, you've, we've all seen it, the, the, the penalty kick late in the game, a team's maybe getting beat 2 nothing, and they score and the, and the striker will run into the net and try and grab the ball and the keeper grabs the ball and before you know where you are, there's about half a dozen players in there rolling about <laughs> in the net and the referee has to wade in and you know, why do they do that? You know, just get back to that. that, that, that I, would, I always find that's totally bonkers from the, the goalie's point of view, picking yeah. the ball up because it's your centre. Anyway, you can't, yeah. it's up to you that's to right. take it. Yeah, I, know, I, I, don't under, I don't understand why the guy that's just scored picks the ball up because he, he can't no, exactly. take the centre as George says and I don't understand why they, they can sprint back with a ball but if it's he your centre you can just no, no, stroll up there and take as long as you like so I never get that Tam, do you not think I'm looking at it from a different perspective if you're a fan watching the game it gets the crowd going when you see your player doing that because it makes you feel yeah, my players are my players are sensing the urgency that's here. You know, they they're realizing mm. that this game's been thirty one, and there's nothing more annoying when you're a, when you're a fan and you're watching a team and they're losing two one, and it's in the last few minutes, and you see them see your own team not taking taking time to get to distribute a throw in or something like that. You know, there's something nothing more annoying. So for me as a fan, if I'm watching my player getting the, grabbing the ball out of the net and running towards a halfway line, it gives me that buzz and makes me think, yeah, my my, my players are out there fighting for this. Here's one for for non-listeners. The other side of that is when I was a kid, starting uh, at DC Thompson's, the the late great Tommy Gallagher was was still. He was in his final few years of the uh, being the Couriers, uh, big football writer uh, of the time, and he played with the with the legendary Billy Steele. And Tommy told me once that Billy Steele would uh, he wasn't a great trainer, and he didn't train with Dundee. He trained with Clyde and came up on the Friday for the games, and and he said if he if he hadn't trained hard that week he said Billy wouldn't do much he said but you would get you, you would get a throw in in front of the south enclosure and Billy Steele didn't take the throw ins but he hadn't done much in the game so he would run across if, if it was a draw or they were getting beat one nil. he'd run across and he'd grab the ball off whoever was meant to take the throw in and go get us the ball come on and he said the fans would go mental and they'd be like and he said you're standing there going but he's no run the whole game, and you're all going. You should be like Billy Steele. Yeah. And he said it was, and he loved Billy Steele. He said, but it used to be quite annoying. <laughs> yeah. No, Tom. Actually, no going back quite as far as that. I just go back to last week, and I think that you, 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 the Fair Play Award, FIFA should give the Fair Play Award to the Faroe Islands because they're they're a goal down against Scotland, and it's in the ninety fourth minute or something like that and Scotland uh-huh. put the ball out and the Pharaohs give them I a know, back I saw that. You know, you've got to take your heart off to them would there be any other team in Europe have done that at that point in time you know so that's where the, the Pharaohs have come on a fair bit in terms of their you know their ability and their technique and things but when it comes to actual savvy about how, you know how to win a game later on <laughs> you know they've still got a wee bit to learn they just, they just seemed too nice didn't they Faroe Islands yeah, they yeah. Seemed, and their fans as well they, what a party they were having behind that goal as well they were jumping up and down it was <laughs> Like, it was like they forgot the football was on, you know, they're just jumping up but and down the you, whole game. Yeah, you and could you imagine a Hamden Park if Scotland were a goal down in the 94th minute and no. Scotland gave the ball back to the opposition? Oh, oh, but the fans, oh, would, be the like, fans oh, would be going you mental, watch. you're absolutely spot on about that. I must admit, it annoys me fans having such a good time when they're getting because yeah. I've it's not quite right, so, ma- so many defeats, you're like, no, no, it's got to hurt. And I don't know why, because good luck to them. And I'm always okay once I'm out the ground, but at the game, I'd never be celebrating when we were losing. But anyway. Enough of, enough of Dundee 
under Pharaoh's connections, <laughs> <laughs> however, spuri- however spurious they may be. After this, we'll round everything up. Right, chaps, to finish off this week, apparently there's a league in England and uh, there's a few things been happening in it. Who wants it? We'll, 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 we'll make it a Middle Eastern connection. Do we start with Salah's brilliance or the Saudis at Newcastle? Salah's brilliance, surely. Yeah, I saw that on Saturday. It was a goal. Oh, it's an outstanding. I mean, I, I shared the video with you guys. You've probably seen it a million times anyway, but it's got 1.1 million views and it's it's every angle of Salah's goal against Watford. It was brilliant. Absolutely. Just, it's just everything about it. The way he picks up the ball, he's left foot, he rolls it past the three defenders that are crowded around him, takes it past him. The crowd gets up cheering because he's made this skill and then he gets it on his right foot and then shimmies past a player and then moves it back on and then curls it, curls it with his left foot into the, the corner. It's just, it's, it's that's the kind of goal I think that we'll be watching in 15, 20 years' time and still and still looking at it and saying, wow, what a goal that was. You and I, I, I watched the, the game live and I've already seen enough of that goal. I have never seen, before the final whistle, a goal replayed as often. I think it was, in part, it was such a one-sided game <laughs> that every couple of minutes they just showed it again. <laughs> and, I, and I won't really tire of it. It was, a, it was a, a, an amazing goal. George, is he the best player in the world, like Jurgen Klopp says? Oh, you're asking a Man U fan. If a Liverpool right now, player is the best player in the world. <laughs> Uh, he is, but that, that's the the sad reality. Uh, up until what maybe a year ago, it would still be Messi or Ronaldo. You'd say maybe, possibly Lewandowski or somebody like that. But no, I think Salah's uh, in in a league of his own at the moment. I would say I think he's the best. He murdered the boy Danny Rose on Saturday. That was Holland. a mismatch. There's, there's a, Ranieri didn't do him any favors. No, he's an experienced international defender. But right, I mean the. First, first five minutes he set up the goal, turning Danny Rose and played Manny in with a great pass. But I, I felt I felt sorry for the boy Rose. But it's um, he is he's an amazing player. Uh, but looking down south, are they? I'm not sure, and I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm not sure, Bear, that Liverpool are the team that are going to come out on top this season. Certainly not going to be Man United, George. <laughs> They'll not be far away, Tom. You not. He certainly got his mojo back, his Mohammed back, shall we say. He's called Mohammed Salah now, doesn't he? Because uh, he was in my dream team last season for a while and he hardly picked up a point over a period of about six or seven weeks. So whether it's just because the fans are back or he's just, he's just you know, he's found his form again, but he's, he's simply sensational. I would say at this point in time, he probably is the best player on the planet, but can he remain the best player on the planet over the next four or five months? That, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a season's a, a long time and you've got to keep at it all the time and that's you've got to take into account international fixtures and things like that and how he comes back injuries etc etc um, but yeah Liverpool Liverpool are looking good again Liverpool I think they're they're definitely one of the teams that have benefited from I mean I think every team has benefited from having the fans back but especially you know having been to Anfield over the past few seasons and, and seen what their fans offer you know in games you know the difference it makes it must make to the players um, to lift them in, in in games when when things maybe aren't going quite right for them. It's uh, it gives them that wee bit extra, and that that can make the difference between winning the title and not winning the title. Talking about uh, fantasy football, there was a bit of a stushy with Watford fans. Did you see that? Apparently, their goalie Ben Foster had more Salah as his captain. 
and his fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's yeah. like, that's like new. That's a new betting scandal, isn't it? That's like that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I don't think he let that one. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he watched it from afar. He didn't even move. It was so. Far the only away thing, from you, the only thing you would say, George, is it's him and ten million other players that are involved in that fantasy oh, football league. Yeah, that would like me Salah too. Yeah. Captain. He was my captain. So it was the only thing I got right on Saturday. So. Oh, so the the Man United fans got Mo Salah as his captain. Oh, there you go. Yeah, well, exactly. It's reality. I put Ronaldo on my team. He's done nothing. What's going on? <laughs> it's, it's he sold a, a few. few he sold a few tops. Didn't have him in my team by <laughs> that point. Though. I would. Uh, I must admit, Ronaldo could come and play for my team if you wanted. If you if you don't want him, you no, I do want him. I, I would. I play. would like a team that's set up to actually. Utilize them. I, I said. I said we'd keep it as a sort of Middle Eastern flavor with the Saudis. But since you're looking to glum, George, is is it the case that Ollie's just not good enough for Manchester United? Because I I, I actually listened to a podcast with uh, Jamie Carragher earlier this week, uh, and and it was the the basis was what makes you angry. He says, "Well, I got really angry." At, Roy Keane and Gary Neville because they keep saying Manchester United are not there. That he said they've not signed anyone for less than fifty million <laughs> for about three years. <laughs> How can you not be ready to challenge at the top? And is is the answer? And he was being diplomatic. I think is the answer the manager. It, it could well be. It was a a kind of emotional decision to give him the job in the first place, and he did really well when he came in. He lifted the place, uh, and he he has probably done better than. I suppose Jose Mourinho won the FA Cup and won some trophies, but this, he's built the best team since Fergie was there. So you have to give him credit for that. But are there, that's what I'm asking. You know, I always, I'll give you, you, you three jump in here. I've said for over a, over a year now, Manchester United, and they might beat my beloved Liverpool on Sunday because they have good players who can win games. But I've never, I very rarely see them in a game where they win it because tactically they're so much better. Last Saturday, for example, tactically Leicester were better than them, and therefore won. Is that where? Is that the weakness that Solskjaer's got? He 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 can sign good players, but he doesn't get them. He doesn't it get the right balance. It seems that way. I think I think they have too many good players as well. I think trying to figure out who's going to play on a Saturday, uh, it can be quite tricky with all the attacking. You grew up watching Queen of the South and <laughs> complaining about a team with too many good. No, players. you know what I mean. They've got guys like Marcel might not even make the squad. But George, oh, is that George, that's the case for every team in the top four or six in England? They've got they've got double, you know, they've got two elevens that they could walk at the most teams, you know. It's but it's a manager's job to to you know get the formula right, isn't it? And you you t- you touched on this at the start that Tony Asgar had said to you they are very big on signing players for the system. I know uh, that's that Liverpool from their from their owners in baseball, they're very much on the statistics of players and how they fit whether it's baseball, football, American football or whatever, surely a club like Man United can look at the players that are available and say, here's what we need, rather than say, he's a big name. Ronaldo may be an exception. Yeah, I mean, I understand why they signed Ronaldo. I mean, no, I still think that's something that could come good, but I agree with you. They strike me as being a little bit like the English Real Madrid in the sense that Real Madrid go and sign a whole collection of players and then it's like, well, how do we fit them all together here? You know, and and that that can be a big problem as a team. You know, I think I think if I go back to great teams of our recent past, 
one of the great teams of recent past would have been Barcelona. And Barcelona played the same system right the way from their their under 11s all the way through to the first team. So if you were at Barcelona, you knew exactly what, the way you were going to play the game. And then when they went and they signed players, they signed players that were going to play the tikka attack of football that, were, that Barcelona had become accustomed to. I think the identity... I don't know what a Manchester United team is just now. That's the problem. What's the fabric of their identity? And I and I think that that's probably the core problem of them. Um, we don't know exactly what Man United are going to turn up and be like in a game. I'm actually going to Old Trafford next month, taking Jackson down to watch Manchester United against Arsenal. It's, it's, it's been put back to December, so I'll, I'll see them firsthand. But I'm not. I'm not even that. I'm sorry, George, but I'm not even that fussed about Man United. I'm just going and going because it's going to. Well, Jackson wants to see Ronaldo, so we're going to go and see Ronaldo. Hopefully, you know. But um, I'm not sure what team will win that game. You know, I mean, I know it's I know it's a while ago. Oh, come not on, sure. I'm, I'm not sure though. I'm gentle. Gen- you can't rely on Man United to pull it out of the bag, but results you can't. They're not a very reliable no. team. Is that the thing about them, Bear? Are they? And I know the United were meant to be talking about is Newcastle, but this is much more fun. <laughs> Bear, are, are the are they a team that can beat anybody and lose to anybody? Yeah, yeah uh, I certainly think that's the case. And then the, I've got to say, when when Maguire doesn't play, they look as though they can leak goals. I mean, the the, the leak goals with him in the teams at times, but you know, with him out the team, they certainly look vulnerable at the back. I think they've got a keeper issue as well. You know, I know David Day is. You know, he has his moments, but for me, they, they just they're just not there. And for Manchester United, there's only one position good enough, and that's that's. First place, Tom, but you can see how difficult it is and the money that's getting spent down there. And we're, we're talking about big teams like Arsenal, a mile off the pace now. Spurs never look like getting in there. It's so so tough. And you're looking at you're looking at two teams now. Obviously, Liverpool are look as though they're they're on the ball. But for me, Manchester City. You've just talked about you know a, a guy who will not change his ways. You know, just for people pressure saying, go and get a big striker. And why is he not, why is he not saying that? He just wouldn't do that, Guardiola, because he knows he'd have to change the way that he plays the game of football. And you see, the most players, that he buys guys that are going to fit into that system. He doesn't buy players who are going to be sort of doing their own thing and, you know, would disrupt the pattern of play that he wants to play. And that's why I think, at the end of the day, I think that, that Manchester City will win it this season. I think they'll pip Liverpool, Tom. I know Liverpool are your team, but I can... I tend to, I tend to agree with you. I think Chelsea, Chelsea as well. Yeah, well, two shows, I like, two shows I, like, good. I think Tuchel's another boy that has a has a way of playing and and he picks his players uh, accordingly. And I think that's uh, Man United's big thing. But to, to just to finally finish off with the United down south that we were going to speak about is... Um, the result against Spurs at the weekend, a, a sign that it doesn't matter how much money you've got, it's going to leak, it's going to take a while for Newcastle to be where their new owners want them to be. It's going to take a long time. I, I would guess you're talking five years at least before they're a good team. Never mind. I took Man, Man City around yeah, about that yeah. long, didn't I? And, and a few managers as well, Tom. Exactly. They were talking about that. They were talking about that they need to obviously... It looks like. I would. You want to be the, the first? Yeah, if Steve Bruce will go, but the guy who comes in now will he be the guy who eventually takes them to where they want to be? I don't think it will. This, the next, yeah. the next person will be a stepping stone, won't it? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You don't want to be the first manager that goes there. I think. <laughs> I think you maybe want to be the second or the third manager. I mean, they've actually like gone through their because they they probably don't really know what they want yet. 
You know, they probably don't mm. really know what their manager's going to be. If they're going to give Steve Bruce seven million of a payoff, I'll be his, I'll be his successor <laughs> for the week. <laughs> yeah, and the, prob- the problem with them coming in, you know, at the point of coming, it's not a problem because they're planning now and, and and everything like that. But the fans are will be desperate for some of this money to be spent, and it can't yet get sp- be spent until January. So they're sitting there with the players, the current crop of players, um, and nothing's really changed in terms of on the park. You know, so it's. That's a bit of an issue, you know, and obviously that might change in January and, the, and I'm sure the Newcastle fans will be desperate for the transfer window to open so they can get excited about being linked to to all the best players. They'll probably be linked to Salah, you know, they'll be linked to everybody. They'll be linked to all the best players in the world, but will they actually go to Newcastle yet? It struck me, well, yeah, well, these players go because it's a short it's a short career. If you Like Salah, Salah's 29. If he goes to Newcastle and we're right about them, taking them five years to challenge for... The, the, the league and the Champions League he's probably saying I might not win another trophy in my yeah, career it's like, the, it's like the Paris Saint-Germain I mean they're, they're, a, if they, they, they're a club that were taking over maybe I'm trying to think back maybe four or five years ago and it's a project thing with them and yeah they've got close in recent years and, and I've, but they've, they've not quite got to the to the level you'd expect and it's taking them time to build their, their team up and now I mean they've got an amazing front line now but you know, it's taken them time to be able to attract players like Messi, like Neymar, you know, and they've got Mbappe, you know, players like that. It's, they, they didn't do that overnight. They, they players bit by bit have decided, yeah, I'll go and play in French football and I'll go and play for Paris Saint Germain. And whilst I think Newcastle, if you're an investor, is not the worst idea in the world to invest in because of the the potential, the support, the fan base is incredible. You know, it's far greater than Manchester City. So so from that perspective, the potential for growth is huge, but they're starting at quite a, a, a medium average level. They've got quite a bit to go to catch up with other clubs. And maybe to, to, we'd be remiss not to touch on the ethical side of it with the Saudi uh, ruling royal family's connections. Um, I'm happy to sit on the fence, but A, it's... A, a, let he and who and let he and football who is without sin on that uh, score. I mean, you think even I can think of when Dundee had owners that had a uh, less than savoury international reputations. Chelsea come with a baggage, a lot do, but it also strikes me football once again gets thrust to the sort of forefront of the moral debate. Lots of governments do business. <laughs> With the Saudis and other governments that aren't savoury, so why is it, why is it suddenly a football club that has to shoulder this moral responsibility? I think the vast majority. You saw the, you know, the mall outside St James's Park when news of this broke, and the the, the interviewer was asking fans, "What do you think?" What I mean, obviously this the, the Saudi human rights record, and the vast majority went, "Well, we're not caring about that. All we're caring about is what we see on a Saturday afternoon at St James's Park, and if we can get." wins and you know and and chances of winning trophies at that but you know that's as as a fan that's really all you're concerned with there will be obviously one or two who, who might take the, the look at the, the other issues that, that go on but that's surely that's for the people who um you know run the game tom uh, you know if you're letting yeah. if you're letting these people in and to, to you know take control of the game and it's for them to look in and say no we can't have this but like you've already pointed out, it wouldn't just be Newcastle they'd be looking at, you know, the money that's coming into the English game at this point in time. 
Hugh, you've often got a strong moral voice. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm, I'm, I'm with. I mean, obviously, some of some of the things that we talk about over in Saudi, you know, we, we cannot agree with the, a lot of the things that go on there. But does that mean that every single person that comes from that country is part of that, or is, is you know, I just, I think you've got, I think we've got to, we've got to accept it. Yeah, it gets amplified when they come into a football world, and and football does often get tired with it, but. I don't know, you give them a chance, that's what I would say. Give them a chance. And I know the Newcastle fans are giving them a chance because the Newcastle fans were so desperate for, for Ashley to go that anybody could take over their club, you know. Um, and I did hear somebody talking on the radio, which I thought was quite mildly amusing, was that the laugh would be that when they find out that Ashley gets installed as a new manager at Newcastle, and that's been part of the takeover deal, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I don't I don't have I don't have strong views on the moral side of things. I think I'm maybe I'm so so like uh, tunnel visioned with football. I think I'm just wondering what are they going to bring uh, football wise to to Newcastle? Are they going to make a mockery of the game? I don't know. Uh, but there's so many of these rich owners now that you know who what is a mockery of the game? You know, and I know they are they are much much richer than any of the other owners in football at the moment, but. <sighs> I'm just getting yeah. so used to it now. I mean, I don't know what... There's, there's very few clubs that don't have rich owners yeah. now down that, in England. I, I thought your tunnel vision there, Ewan, was going to be, what does this mean for our growth? And are they going to come in and steal Dick Campbell off us? Well, they better not, to be honest with you. I mean, I would be furious if that happened. I think uh, no club, no, hands off Dick Campbell, that's all I say. <laughs> no, no, matter, no, matter who, no matter how much money. And to be honest with you, I think Dick Campbell's quite happy where he is. He likes, he likes it in our growth and quite right. Quite rightly, so. I think I think the one thing you, you would say is that obviously this money is going to get pumped in, into Newcastle. Well, ultimately make them a, a better football team. And but there's only so many prizes at the end of the day. There's only so many competitions you can win. Now you've got you've got your maybe big four to six teams. So Newcastle will add to that. But at the end of every season, not every team's going to win the trophies, isn't it? So where where does it end then? What what do you do? You see, you're going to see owners pumping in millions and millions and millions and millions, but there's only going to be a few of them coming out at the, at the end of the end of the day with trophies to to show for it. So I don't think the trophies count anymore, Bear. That's the sad thing. It's to get the money back. That's... Yeah, and it, and the interesting thing though is, I was talking about this with my friends on, on Friday, is that. There's a lot of clubs and a lot of countries in Europe just now that are really struggling financially just now. I mean, look at Spain, Spanish football. I mean, Barcelona, they're in real, real trouble financially, you know. So there's potentially an opportunity because English football doesn't seem to have to be struggling to the same level, you know. So there's potentially an opportunity for these English clubs to go in and maybe dominate Europe for a while. So maybe that's the thinking behind the Newcastle thing, you know. So I think it improves their brand, but. I think as Bear says, I I wonder if eventually, and it might be a wee bit down down the road yet, that eventually these these big owners start pulling out because they can't all win. But as George says, they've got other interests. For me, I'd just like Dundee and United to get a wee shot of billionaires <laughs> before they lose interest. Send them at Gayfield. We could do with a few billionaires. We'll, I'll take Ronaldo as well, seeing as George doesn't want him in his dream team. We'll take him up front. When Nubly goes, we'll take Ronaldo instead. That would be a good replacement in January, I think. I think we really just need to finish on these two uh, two announcements from you and <laughs> Newcastle hand, hands off Dick <laughs> and Ronaldo. You'll always be welcome <laughs> at Gayfield. <laughs> 
If you like the podcast, we'd be grateful if you tell your pals about it. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. All that really helps people find Twa Teams One Street and that means a lot to us. Don't forget to pick up your copy of the Tilly Monday to Saturday for all the latest from Dens and Tanadice or go to thetilly.co.uk to find out how you can get the paper delivered right to your door.